2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, would you stand with me as we read God's Word together today? This is Paul writing as a seasoned pastor or minister. He's writing to a young pastor named Timothy, but to you and I also. He makes these profound words in chapter 3. This, this statement, this prediction is um, unsettling. He says, but mark this. There will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying its power, have nothing to do with them. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for these words. As we read them, they are unsettling to us on the one hand because it perfectly describes the world in which we live today. But we acknowledge the good news in all of this is Paul says there will be terrible times in the last days. It tells us that we're in the last days. And we look forward to the return of our Savior. Help us to understand this passage and the one that follows today. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. This morning's message is entitled, How to Get Along with Anyone, Part 2. If you were with us last week, we looked at uh, three, or excuse me, four ways or four personality types and how to get along with those personality types. And it may be somebody in your family, a relative, it may be a classmate at school, it may be a fellow employee or even a fellow church member. Maybe somebody that you encounter this week in the restaurant or at the gas station. Um, that has this personality type. And by the way, I created some of these personality type titles, and we'll do so this morning, not to demean anybody at all, but to help you and I remember these personality types so we know how to respond to them. Last week, we looked at the frenemy, the chatterbox, the slightly crazy, and the introvert. Today, we're going to look at the complainer, the contrarian, the politician, and the drama queen. After last week's message, on the way out the front door, there was a lot of finger pointing between family members, <laughs> which brings us to the first one, the complainer. <laughs> the complainer. <laughs> I also call this one the righteous judge because I've discovered that when I complain, it's really my righteousness. And when you complain, it's just inexcusable. <laughs> Is that not how we are? The righteous judge, amen. But I wanna give it a name today. Uh, this is right out of, now I could call it the Karen, but that's not really fair to Karens. I could call it the negative Nancy, but we have a Nancy and that's not really fair to the Nancy. And so I take this right out of SpongeBob SquarePants. I call it the Krabby Patty. The Krabby Patty, and that can be a man or a woman. So the Krabby Patty, 
For the Krabby Patty, nothing is ever okay. You know the personality type? It doesn't matter how well they're doing, how well they're feeling, what a beautiful day it is. It really doesn't matter. There is something for them to be crabby about all the time. Nothing is ever quite right. You cannot please the Krabby Patty, nor do they really want to be pleased because it's their entire worldview, their dissatisfaction. They don't perceive or conceive of anything in life apart from that. And by the way, the complainer is like some of the personality types last week. Uh, a lot of it is ultimately a cry for attention. You need attention, and so you say things in a certain way, in a certain tone, and it really culminates in the drama queen, and we'll get to that at the end, uh, a desire and a need for attention. But it becomes a bad habit, and then it becomes our personality, and God has to work that through out of us as we are transformed through the blood of Christ. When we have a proclivity toward complaining, it warps our worldview and our relationships. Krabby Patties have lost the ability to have a relationship without complaining. Most people say, hello. The complainer basically says, here's my dissatisfaction today. Are you the personality type or do you know someone that you cannot get through a single conversation with them ever without their being complaining? If you're like that, I want to challenge you today to clean that out of your conversations. It doesn't help. Washington is the way that it is. It hasn't gotten one bit better since you started complaining. <laughs> your health is what it is and complaining Medical science will tell you, doesn't help. It actually makes it worse. Your complaining and our complaining is not what honors God either. And we'll look at that in just a moment. They simply don't conceive of relationships without complaining. In fact, to them, the very purpose of conversation is to lodge complaints. The Krabby Patty believes that relationships are made for complaining. They don't even understand the concept of a healthy relationship beyond the complaint. There was a lady who lived alone in a suburban apartment complex once. She was upset about the noise in an adjacent apartment that she claimed was disturbing her, and so she immediately picked up a phone and called her landlord. If you've ever lived in an apartment, you'll sympathize with her. You know what it is like to live with another family only inches away from you, right on the other side of the wall. <coughs> so she called the landlord and she said, you need to get up here right away. This is a huge, there's a huge party that's going on right next door and I want it to stop. Worried about the idea of losing one of his tenants, the landlord rushed up to the woman's apartment. The woman was eagerly awaiting him uh, and his assistants as she stood there in the open hallway, the open doorway, looking to see the moment he came up. The woman invited him in and proclaimed that this was the third time that her neighbors had thrown a party this month and that this, was one, of the, this one was worse than the others. So the landlord listened closely, but he could not hear even the slightest sound penetrating the wall between her and her neighbor's apartment. I'm sorry, he said, but I can't hear anything. Well, she explained, 
you're, you're not listening close enough. If you go into the bathroom and close the door and put this glass up against the wall, you can hear almost everything they're saying. The complainer complains about everything. Do you know somebody like that? Number two, and by the way, I'm going to share with you at the end today how we're going to deal with each of these personality types. Number two is the contrarian. <coughs> the contrarian, I call this person the potato. <laughs> because if you say potato, they're going to say potato. Now, this is similar in some respects to the complainer because they're often negative. But the contrarian is a little different in that they simply feel a need to go across the grain. They don't like to go with everybody else because that's sheep. They don't want to be a sheep, and so they always go in the other direction. If you say potato, they will say potato because everybody else says potato, potato and they just can't bear to say that. To them, every point has a counterpoint, and it's their job to provide that perspective, that counterpoint. In a church business meeting, they always vote no. There are no voters. Even if they don't care or are concerned about what it was or what it is that's being voted on, they're going to vote no just because that's the thing to do. And so if you've been in a church for very long, we often have a, every church will have one or two no votes. No matter what we're voting on, there'll be a no vote because the contrarian is uh, there to vote. By the way, uh, the contrarian wants you to be like that too. They're going across the grain and they want you to go across the grain as well and they will talk to you endlessly about all the reasons why you're going in the wrong direction like everybody else and you should go the way that they're going. Do you know the personality type? A few moments ago, and I may have told you this, uh, this uh, about this account, I don't think I have, but I may have, uh, it's just happened this year. Uh, a man called me on the phone from another town here in Texas. I'd never met him. Uh, I'd never been to his town, although I'd heard of his town. And he starts sharing with me on the phone uh, that he was depressed. He was discouraged. He said he didn't have any friends. His wife had left him. His kids had left him. And, and he didn't know why. He just didn't have any friends. And, and so as we're talking along, I, I thought, uh, I, was, I was, again, empathetic with him. That's what pastors are for, to, to listen. And, uh, but I thought, you know, it's odd that he's calling me because he was hours away. And so I said to him, I tell you what, why don't you um, call the pastor there in your town of a Baptist church? There will be Baptist churches there. And I'm sure there's a first Baptist church. Why don't you call him and share with him? And maybe you could go visit his church. He said, oh, no. And he was very abrasive throughout the whole thing. You talk about contrarian. And he just said some various things. But when I said, you should go meet the pastor at First Baptist Church in your town, he said, oh, no. He said, I'll never call him again. He's an idiot. <laughs> That's what he said. He's an idiot. Now, let me stop right there just a moment. We had a pandemic several years ago, and some of you got the shot, and some of you didn't get the shot. I get that. And, you, and it's wonderful that you're all sitting there together and, and nobody's angry at anybody because we have the right to choose in our world. I think we should have the right to choose what is injected in our arm 
And uh, some of you are, have very strong opinions that you should get the shot. Some have very strong opinions that you should not get the shot. And this is kind of a, an old discussion anymore. Um, but uh, when it happens, although I wasn't, I, I don't like shots. I don't get the flu shot because uh, I don't like needles being injected in my body. It, it hurts. I'm a, I'm a chicken, I guess. I, I just don't like shots. And so uh, uh, when it came up, I wasn't going to get it. But my wife is a nurse, and she had to get it for her job because she was dealing with COVID patients. And at the time, remember, people were very scared about what was going to happen with COVID, and she didn't want to affect everybody else. She didn't want to bring it home to us. And I was not going to get the shot, shot, except that I'm your pastor. And I did not want to infect my congregation. So when she, she went to get the shot, I went ahead and got the shot too, the, the first two. Now, we never got the booster shots after that. They, I don't know how many boosters they've had. That was the end of it right there, but we did get the shot. Again, some people get it, some don't. And so um, when, when the guy said, he's the, the pastor of First Baptist Church in my town is an idiot. I said, well, what do why do you think he's an idiot? He said, well, he got the, he got the COVID shot. And, and I thought, well, that's quite a statement. <clears throat> and I said, well, you know, he has the right to choose whether he wants to. And he interrupted me and he said, did you get the shot? <laughs> and I said, well, yes, you know, my wife's a nurse, et cetera. And, and so I did get the first two shots. He said, well, you're an idiot too. <laughs> And I don't know, I probably shouldn't have hung up on him, but. <laughs> I did understand very quickly why he doesn't have any friends and why he's discouraged. And some people are like that. They're just across the grain all the time. They're just abrasive people. And if you say potato, they're gonna say potato and everything. Number three, the politician. The politician. Now, you may think the politician is someone who loves to talk about politics, and there are certainly those who, who can't get through a single conversation without getting political, uh, but that's a topic for complainers, really. And here's the thing. I know things are not good in Washington. It's a mess. But, you know, it's always been a mess, at least during my lifetime, and, and I think the thinking is when it clears up and things get better in Washington, I'll stop complaining about Washington. Well, you, you understand the, the, fruit, the futility of that thinking because it will never get better. It will never be okay. There will always be more than enough on our state level and national level and international level just to be in anguish about that all the time. And God doesn't want you like that. I'm not telling you to put your head in the sand and bury your head and, and not know what's going on. Jesus knew what was going on politically, even though he didn't talk about it. But he knew. Um, but it just ends up being a never-ending political complaint. And it is important. Our politics are important, but don't let it take over your, your, your thought life and your conversation life. You have to understand, we are not here on this earth for politics. We are here for the glory of God. Don't let anything overshadow that. We are here for the gospel of Christ, and don't let anything interfere with that. And as good Americans, we think, well, can I do both? I can be a Christian, I'll be pro-Jesus, 
and I can espouse my political views constantly. Well, sometimes you can do both, but often you can't if one overshadows the other. The Apostle Paul had to deal with politicians in a very difficult political world. Nero was the emperor, by the way, during virtually the entire ministry of the Apostle Paul. Remember when he, he appealed his case to the emperor? And they sent him from Israel all the way over to Rome, uh, sent him on that ship, and then he ended up getting wrecked. He was a prisoner at that time. Well, he was going on his way to Rome to appeal to the emperor, and the emperor was Nero. Nero was an interesting man. He was one of the emperors, and many of them were like this, that deified himself. Now, man, we all have ego problems, but good grief. <laughs> when you announce yourself to be a deity, it's gone too far. And not only did he deify himself, if you, if you like old coins, there are coins of him that he had minted. And of course, it has his picture, his image on the side. And around his image are imprinted the words, Savior of the world. <laughs> That's actually, that was his designation for himself, Nero, savior of the world. So when another savior came along, a real savior, he didn't want anything to do with that. He was the very first emperor to systematically persecute Christians. And now you understand why. He was awful. Even by Roman standards, Nero was awful. Nero murdered his brother. He murdered his wife. And... He murdered his own mother. Now, I don't know how dysfunctional your family is, but that's pretty bad. <laughs> he actually murdered his wife because he wanted to marry somebody else, and that's just the quickest way to do it. And so uh, he, he murdered his own mother. And yet, in light of, it was so bad, and this, you have to be really bad in the Roman world for them to, to, to be turned off by you. The Romans actually put out an edict calling for his execution, but before they could arrest him, he saw the gig was up and he committed suicide. So they were, even the Romans thought, oh, this guy's really terrible. That's how bad Nero was. And yet, you know how many statements Paul made about Nero? None. He didn't talk about it. I guarantee Paul had opinions. He had thoughts about that. He could go on and on in every conversation. You know, that guy put me in jail. I've been sitting in jail all this time because of that Nero. Or this church was persecuted. Or that church was persecuted. And could have played the victim card. And could have just gone on and on and on all the time about the politics of the day. But he didn't. Why? Because he wasn't here for that. He was here for the glory of God. And the gospel of Jesus Christ. Don't ever forget that. Okay, that was a little side note. Uh, that's not what politician means. That's what I was trying to say. <laughs> so back to politician. And I don't mean this as a slur on political figures, by the way. I'm not saying at all politicians are sleazy people or anything like that. But again, I have to give it a name. So here we go. Some of them are good people. But this kind of individual that I'm talking about today always wants something. Do You ever have a friend like that? You know somebody like that? As soon as they come up to you, you know they want something. I have this little thing going on with the deacons. When I want something from, from a deacon, I'll go up to them here at church and I will say, there's my favorite deacon. <laughs> and they immediately say, all right, what, what do you want, pastor? <laughs> so that's a politician. That's manipulative. My favorite deacon. Somebody come up to you and say, my best friend. And you already go, oh, 
Okay, I, I know what, what, what that means. Uh, it's like somebody uh, wanting to manipulate you to bring candy, and so they pretend to drink pickle juice. <laughs> Hypothetically. <laughs> That's classic politician behavior. But as far as the, the behavior itself, seriously, for, for many people, it's not a joke at all. They are manipulative. In our passage for today in 2 Timothy, Paul actually mentions a politician. He doesn't use that particular term, but he does mention the personality type. Look with me in the very next verse, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 6. And he, he's been talking in the first five verses about these terrible, horrible people. And then he continues with them in verse 6. He says this, they are the kind who worm their way into homes. Now, what does that mean to worm your way into a home? Yeah, you manipulate your way into the home and gain control over weak-willed women who are loaded down. The, the who is a reference to the men, not the women, who are loaded down with sins and are swayed by all kinds of evil desires, always learning but never able to acknowledge the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so also these men opposed the truth. Men of depraved minds who, as far as the faith is concerned, are rejected. But they will not get very far because, as in the case of those men, their folly will be clear to everyone. He said things are going to be bad in the last days, so bad <clears throat> that people will be selfish, they'll be disrespectful, disobedient to their parents, and on and on the list went. Of a depraved mind, he said, the world will be so bad, believe it or not, men <clears throat> will manipulate women to get into their house and take over. They're the politician. Always want something. Always want something. And so here, if you're going to be a friend to somebody... Sometimes you have a need. Sometimes others have a need. You share with them when they're in need. They share with you when you're in need. And that's a wonderful thing. That's what friendship is. But for the politician, it's a one-way street. They always want something. They always want something. Interestingly, did you notice this? For whatever reason, Paul used an illustration of two guys that were like politicians. And they weren't politicians in the formal sense of the word, but they, they always want something. They're always conniving. They're always tricking. They're always deceiving. And it was Janice and Jambres, Janice and, and Jambres, if I'm saying that correctly. By the way, this is the only place in the entire Bible where these two names are mentioned. Never mentioned anywhere else, but these two men are mentioned in the Bible. So Moses was called by God to go to Pharaoh and say, let my people go. And Moses at the burning bush said to God, if I, who do I say sent me? Or if they say, your God didn't send you, what do I, what do I say to them? And God said, what's that in your hand? Do you remember the story? And Moses says, well, this is my staff. And God says, throw it down. So he threw it down on the ground and it became a what? Turned into a snake. And God says, well, show them that. And so Moses goes off to Pharaoh, goes before Pharaoh, says, let my people go. And says, why should I let them go? And Moses did the thing and threw his, his staff down and it became a snake. Well, there were two court magicians, these two guys who were there and they 
They create a fake version, a trick version, an illusionist version of that, trick, of, of that miracle. See, for Moses, it was a miracle. It was real. For them, it was an illusion. So they threw sticks down, which were really just cold snakes. <laughs> threw them down. They became snakes. Of course, you know the story. The, the staff of Moses, which was now a real snake, gobbled them up immediately and exposed that. But that's these two guys. And so Paul is saying to Timothy, remember these two guys back in the Old Testament? They were just tricksters. That's what politicians are if you are that personality type. You're always trying to trick somebody into something all the time. Of course, I, I'm hopeful that you're not that way, but you probably all know somebody that's that way. And then lastly, there is the drama queen. The drama queen. As I told you last Sunday, I came across an article in Reader's Digest with the same title as my sermon, and they give the following definition for the drama queen. It is, they said, the chatterbox on steroids. The drama queen or king is someone who similarly dominates the conversation, chatting your ear off about all the wild things you would never believe are happening in the worst period, week, period, ever, period. Because the drama queen never has a good week. It's always terrible. You won't, they start every conversation with, you won't believe what happened to me this week. You know the type? They love drama. And by the way, the boring details of your week can't possibly compare, so don't even try. Why do some people love drama? The person's always exaggerating because they want to be the center of attention. The more they do this, and by the way, this is right out of Reader's Digest. They said the more they do this, the more we pull away from the over-the-top over emotions of a life in constant crisis. And really, that's the drama king or queen. Their life is always in crisis. They'll never come up to you and you say, how are you doing? And they'll say, I'm doing fine. And then that's the end of it. Not for the drama queen. They got a story to tell and it's always terrible and shocking. <clears throat> and yes, that kind of person is in the Bible and they're religious leaders. Look with me in Mark chapter 7, verse 1. This is an incident that happened with Jesus. He had to deal uh, with these kinds of individuals with the drama queen or drama kings. The Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus and saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were unclean, that is, unwashed. The Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing. And notice that it says ceremonial, that is, they weren't concerned about germs. They were concerned about legalism and ceremony. It was all symbolic of spiritual cleanliness, and they could not distinguish the two. <clears throat> so holding to the tradition of the elders, verse 4, when they, came, uh, when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash, and they observe many other traditions, such as washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. Verse 5, so the Pharisees and teachers of the law asked Jesus, why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with unclean hands? Now, they're unclean not because they're disobeying the law. They're unclean in the Pharisees' mind and their claim. They're unclean because they're not doing what the Pharisees want them to do. Their traditions. 
I found an article <clears throat> from WordPress recently that is, I just actually Googled uh, the Bible, something, uh, 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 scripture, and drama queen. And this was one of the articles that came up. This is from WordPress, a Christian a website. And the article is entitled, strangely enough, Jesus versus the drama queens. <laughs> In it, the writer says this, the phrase drama queen connotes both acting and overacting. It can include manufactured outrage, religious posturing, or disapproval at people who break religious regulations. Religious drama queens have a deep personal need for attention and approval, either from God or from their social group. They love stories in which they are an oppressed minority. For them, the world is always about to end. The, the, the president or the pope or, the, or Lady Gaga is the Antichrist. <laughs> you can be a religious or a non-religious drama queen at any time you build yourself up by showing others what a lifestyle diva you are, praying in the marketplace, as Jesus said, or publicly lamenting whatever it is trendy to lament, or manufacturing outrage over someone else's misstep. The story from Mark goes like this. The disciples sat down to eat one day without washing their hands. Some of the Pharisees notice, and they say to Jesus, don't your students care about honoring God before they eat? And Jesus answers, the Bible warns about you, religious drama queens. Uh, these people talk incessantly about me, but their hearts belong elsewhere. Of course, this is a paraphrase. Their worship is meaningless, and they teach their own rules instead of mine. The Pharisees were taking a few verses from the Bible about religious purity for priests who were supposed to wash their hands and feet before serving in the temple and applying it to all people in all situations. Today, religious drama queens take all kinds of scripture out of context. Jesus says that such people are not really following God. They are drama queens. So <clears throat> just real quick, let me say this. As a pastor, and I know most of the pastors in the area, we get together at least once a month. We have a big lunch together once a month. And they and I, we talk, and there are pastor drama queens. Not, not, not the guys I know here. The fam they're famous. They're not pastors, excuse me. They're, uh, they're preachers. They're famous TV preachers. I see them often posted on Facebook as saying something super righteous. They've always been around and always will be. They're what I call theological shock jocks. They say things that will shock you, but it really is all about lifting them up. They'll say things like, now I know what I'm about to say is going to be shocking to you, but they have to say it because they're the only ones brave enough because they'll say, oh, other pastors, pastors in our country, they're the, they're the sinners. They, they're not brave enough to say what I'm about to say. Beware of the drama queen preacher. Okay, just a word. And I said that very dramatically. So, <laughs> so may, uh, by the way, so how do we deal with the complainer, the contrarian, the politician, and the drama queen? Well, let me give you just a few things. First, make every effort not to be one yourself. That's step number one. 
before you deal with them, be sure that you're not the one that everybody else has to deal with. That is, I want to challenge you this morning to purify your conversations. If there's a lot of complaining in your conversations, I want to challenge you to see how far you can go today and this week. I've done this before. I think it's a good biblical challenge. I want you to see, and you may challenge your spouse, your kids, or your parents, to see how long each of you can go without one complaint. Okay? Without the drama queen business. Without one manipulative statement. If you love me, you'll take me to such and such for lunch. You know, you know, you already, okay. I want you to see how long you can go with that. So don't be a drama or don't be one of these individuals yourself. Philippians chapter 2, verse 14, my favorite chapter in the Bible, by the way, says this, do everything without complaining or arguing so that, listen to what he says, so the, here's the goal, that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life. <clears throat> now, you're not going to fix the drama queens or the politicians or the complainers. You're not going to do it. The contrarians, you're not going to change them. God can change them. You're not going to change them. But what you can do, and here's the good thing, the bad news is they're everywhere. The good news is you and I as people of God have the opportunity to remove all of that from our conversation. And as a result, we shine like stars in the universe. That is, there's a big contrast between us and them. Our words and their words. Our words are to lift up, their words tear down. Our words are to edify, their words are to complain. It makes you stand out, and he says, so that we may become blameless and pure. That's the goal this week. In your conversations today, make your conversations blameless and pure. Okay? All right. <clears throat> Some years ago, Charles Schultz, that is the, the author of, or the creator of Charlie Brown, he was bringing out, uh, he has one cartoon where Charlie Brown is bringing out Snoopy's dinner for Thanksgiving. It's famous. You probably have seen it. So he brings out Snoopy's dinner for Thanksgiving, and Snoopy looks at his Thanksgiving feast in that dog bowl and realized it's just dog food, just like every day. And he thought, that's not right. That, that's not fair. This is Snoopy thinking. He said, the rest of the world today is eating turkey with all the trimmings, and all I get is this lousy dog food. Why? Because I'm a dog. All I get is dog food. He stood there, stared at his crummy dog food for a moment. He said, well, I guess it could be worse. I guess I could be a turkey. <laughs> There's always another side if you're tempted to complain. Number two. For all of them, all these people in these people groups gently set boundaries. I mentioned this last week. They won't set them. You need to set them. And so if somebody is going on to you and just complaining and complaining, just say, hey, uh, let, me, let me devote that to prayer. I, I need to move on. There are times when you, uh, you need to remove yourself from that. In fact, in our passage that I read at the beginning, there in 2 Timothy, Paul said, to Timothy, he said, have nothing to do with them. There is a time where we need to step away. That's what Jesus would do. And he didn't, he didn't ghost people. He wasn't a snob or anything like that. He would just remove himself sometimes from the disciples because he needed to get out of that toxic environment. 
Um, so set boundaries. These are what we call, and I know I've shared this, I'll share it again, it was what we call EGR people. And some people are just EGR people, extra grace required. And you have to have an extra dose of grace with some people. Always have and always will be gracious as much as you can. Third, do everything you can to be a part of a solution rather than part of the problem. With every one of these people, they want you to dive in with them. Don't. Don't dive into the complaining. Don't be contrary to everybody else and abrasive. Don't go all drama queen. Don't dive in with them. They want to be that way. That's their choice. You have a choice not to do that. Don't let them pull you into that. Be a part of the solution, not a part of the problem. <clears throat> Again, I refer to the verse I introduced to you last week. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 23 says this. Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because they, you know they produce, produce quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not quarrel. Instead, he must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Fourth, as best you can, keep peace between you and them. Don't go to the drama queens and the complainers today and say, you're a complainer. Don't do it on the way home, in the car, or on the way out the door. You're, that's you, you, you. No, you keep peace between you and them. Like I told you, you're not going to fix them, so there's no need. You can pray about them and let God fix them, but there's no need. You keep peace. Romans 12, 18 says, this is Paul speaking again to the church in Rome, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, keep, live at peace with everyone. The complainer, the contrarian, the politician, the drama queen, have great difficulty with this verse. Finally, as I said last week, you have to find a way to love them. And that is sometimes very difficult. And perhaps the most challenging verse in the Bible, Jesus shared in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, verse 43. Jesus said, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. And that is the challenge of our life. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for these words, and we realize how we fall short of them. What a difficult thing to do for us to love our enemies. We struggle to love our friends, let alone our enemies. That's so hard, Father, because our enemies are awful. Sometimes they're evil, wicked, terrible people. But you tell us to pray for them. That whatever's happening in our heart should not be hatred. That's what the world does. That's all they know. That's all they know. But as believers in Christ, you've called us to a different standard. Because when we were your, your enemy, you loved us. So help us to do that today. As you're praying, no one's looking around. Can I challenge you right here, right now, right where you are? Will you accept that challenge? That you're going to clean like a filter. You're going to clean your conversations today so that there's no complaining. There's no drama. There's no coarse contrarian mindset. 
you're not going to haggle over the small things. Just continue to have your conversations. Just clean out the junk. You can do it. God will help you. Will you make that your prayer and your commitment before God right now? And if you can do it today, maybe tomorrow and the rest of the week, it will transform your relationships. You Listen, your relationships will never be what they can be until you get rid of these things. Will you do that today? Make that commitment to your God. Maybe God is calling you to join with First Baptist Church and you just want to come up and say, Pastor, we'd like to join today. Or you want to give your life to Christ. You can just come up the aisle here in a moment during our time of invitation and say, Pastor, I want to give my life to Jesus. How do I do that? And we'll talk about it and pray. Or maybe you just want to come and kneel and make your commitment on your knees. I challenge you to do that. No one's looking around. Would you stand? All heads are bowed. All eyes are closed. And as you stand and as you pray right now, you come.